0: Good morning, WCF. Why don't you guys have a stand? Have a stand and worship with us this morning.
1: Jesus, who pulled me out of that chair. He did, He did Who prayed for all of us here Nobody but Jesus Who rescued me from that grave Yahweh, Yahweh Who gets the glory and praise Nobody but Jesus Who rescued me from that grave Yahweh, Yahweh Who gets the glory and praise This is our God, this is who He is, He loves us He's our God, this is what He does, He saves us Before the cross, meet the grave Let them ever proclaim, He's our God, King Jesus Before the cross, meet the grave
0: Amen. You guys say amen. Amen. Right on. Hey, if you guys could please say hi to somebody near you, or somebody far away from you, or somebody behind or in front of you.
2: We have a missionary video that we're going to do, so, and pray for our missionaries. So I'm going to push the pause button. I'm going to listen to Trudy. Yes, I am going to do missions. So we have a uh, missionary video that we want to share with you, the Jepsons, on what's going on. And so we're going to pray for the offering and pray for the missionaries at the end of the video.
3: Thank you, Warren Community Fellowship, for your love, prayers, and support. We pray God's richest blessings be to you as you meet family and friends and neighbors and share God's truth and love and message of hope.
4: While I'm talking, I'll play some clips of projects I've been working on in the past few years. I finished editing my animations on the creation and the fall of mankind. We dug them into the languages of many tribal peoples from our area and up into Myanmar. Richard's been distributing them to different tribes by hand, like the Karen, and the Aka and the Shan and the Hmong tribes. After editing, I put them back onto the internet. The Fall of Mankind animation in the Moan language drew 34,000 views within this first month online. I'm now finishing up some work on the Life of Jesus animation. But I'm glad to share about the miraculous birth of Christ and in the future heading towards the cross of Christ. I look forward to making more cross-cultural animations in the future, like this African one about uh, the lost sheep.
3: I've been involved in helping old friends who've come to town here over the last couple years during the winter months uh, and come to share the gospel with kids and tourists or students uh, by handing out gospel tracts and booklets when needed I go on recording trips and go and record tribal leaders near in town or a little out of town and other gospel stories in their languages uh, in order to dub them afterward in Charlotte's animations. I also am working on a very important book I hope to pass out after it's done on God's creation of mankind and the spread of believing tribes who left uh, at the time of the Tower of Babel and carried on faith in the one true God um, and I'm doing research on books in books and on the internet some of these tribes continued to follow the true and living God and have to varying degrees retained the stories of creation the fall, the flood and the Tower of Babel up to today the book gives proofs that God has had an ongoing witness to mankind. And man was originally brilliant and spiritual and did not evolve. Rather, God has kept these tribes until today for his message of hope. We thank the Lord for your prayers. Please pray we'll be safe on the road on our motorcycles. Shar has one too. And that Charlotte will be led of the Holy Spirit in creating animations. And that I, Richard, will be successful in establishing relationships, making recordings, and finishing the book on creation and the Tower of Babel, which we'll hand out to tourists.
2: Okay. Okay. So Richard and Charlotte are, are doing a great work, and, and the reason why we shared that um, is it's every month we change on our, our missionaries that we're praying for the next month. So we're going to pray for Richard and Charlotte um, throughout the next month of February and watch God work. It's amazing to be able to see these animations that actually take the gospel and, and, and put it into people's cultural context and into their into their own language that they can understand, so. Let's continue on in our our worship this morning through giving and praying for our missionaries and praying for Israel. God, we thank you for all that you've blessed us with. Lord, we would ask that uh, you would be with Israel. As Samuel has asked for for peace in the land, we pray for peace of of Jerusalem, peace within the land. We pray for the soldiers um, that are out in battle. We pray for the families that have suffered great loss. Lord, we would ask that, most importantly, that you would bring your truth and your word to the land, and that, Lord Jesus, you would come. We pray for the Jepsons for Richard and Charlotte, as they continue their work through animation and discipleship and training. For Richard, with this book, to be able to bring to, to light the tribes that continued in faith even after the Tower of Babel, Lord, we would ask that you give him great inroads. And, Lord, here in our, our little neck of the woods, we know that there's a great work to be done here. And it's going to be done by your people. So, Lord, empower us to do that work, to continue to serve you in spirit and truth. We want to worship you this morning, this holy day, this day that set aside is these offerings are gathered. May they be given from a heart of a giver that's that's so appreciative of your love. May you use these resources for your kingdom's sake to support the the ministry here and abroad. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: It this is Travis Song
0: God, thank you so much that we can be found in you. God, there's a lot of us in here, Lord, that know you. I don't know everybody in this room, Lord, but I know, God, that we all need to hear your word and your truth. We all need to be uh, directed by it. We all need to be submitted to it. We all need to be listening to it, God. So I pray that you would help us to allow you to be Lord in this room today by giving honor, by giving uh, glory to your word, to your truth, God. So we pray and we just ask that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts this morning. You speak through Pastor Kerry. We're just grateful to hear truth this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: So hopefully you guys brought your Bibles this morning. We're going to be bouncing around and taking a look at a number of different scriptures. We're answering the question, does truth matter? And the answer is absolutely what? Yes, it does matter. There is a story about a guy that, that decided, I, I need to go out hunting. It was winter, it was cold, and, and he, he needed a coat. So he said to himself, I'm going to go out hunting, and he grabbed his gun and he went out to the woods and he went looking for a bear and as he's moving through the woods and he's 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 going to hunt a bear because he's going to get that bear and skin it for his coat and out through the brush this bear comes crawling along and he gets that bear in his sight and he stares him down through his scope and the bear says wait 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 a minute What are you doing? The man says, I'm cold. I need a coat. And the bear says, well, I'm hungry. I need a meal. Can we compromise? In the end, the man was very warm. And the bear had his meal. We have to be really careful about compromise. We have to be very careful on, on following and listening to, to someone that is trying to sway us. The Bible is really clear about Satan. Pictures him as a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The world and even Satan himself will tell you Satan's not real. That's not real. This whole spirit is not real. You know, one of the greatest deceptions is getting you to believe that Satan is not real. Why? Because then you become his lunch. We look at this and we see how Satan began this work. In the garden, in the garden, at the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve were in the garden, and Satan came with his first deception. You know the account. Did God really say? When you study that account, with Eve and Adam and eating of the fruit of the tree in the garden, and that whole conversation that takes place in Genesis chapter 3, the question really was, not only did God really say, but is God really good? Does God really have your best interest in mind within that? To attack God's goodness, God's graciousness. God's not really good because He's holding back from you. God's not really gracious because He doesn't want you to be like Him. You know the account. Satan is a deceiver. His battle plan is subtle deception. Satan is not going to come at you with a frontal attack. Too obvious. So he's going to come in with these subtle deceptions to lure you away. These compromises that slowly will get you to a place where you find yourself walking away from God. These discreet statements that speak, these little words in your mind that whittle you down to a place of being lost, rejecting God. You know, the thing is, when we take a look at the world that is deceived by Satan... They don't even know they're deceived. Hence the deception. They think it's all true within that. And Christ followers, while we know the truth and the truth has set us free, we've got to be very careful that we are alert and we're aware of these deceptions that come in. We have to be watchful and never let our guard down. Within this, And we can avoid that deception by being on guard, but if you let your guard down, and if you start listening to these subtleties subtleties that Satan brings in, that you're going to find yourself compromising, and compromise is horrible. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. We're going to start there, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And he's writing a letter to the church of Corinth, which was a very carnal, compromising church. They had allowed the subtleties of, of the world to infect them. They were struggling with many carnal sins. And in the context of this passage, one of the things that Paul is addressing is the Christians within that church were suing other Christians. And, and Paul is addressing their immaturity. Why were they suing other Christians? Well, they should have been able to handle it themselves, but they couldn't. Because if they go to court in the lawsuit, then they can get more for themselves. And so it was out of greed that they were struggling within this. They had fallen into what we know today to be called Christian liberalism. Christian liberalism. A dangerous deception that is in this. By definition, Christian liberalism is this, a sophisticated philosophical argument that endorses and encourages loose living, immoral lifestyles, fueled by an attitude of elitism. Christian moralism presents itself as a sophisticated set of arguments that that encourages this idea that I am more spiritual than you, and I am more elite than you, more mature than you, because I can accept all of these things and navigate through all these things without it being an issue. The Christian liberal believes that they are more mature than everybody because they are more inclusive than everybody. They are more compromising. And within this religious elitism, they think that if they accept every lifestyle, then they're really showing the love of Christ. It is dangerous. It's a dangerous deception that was true in Paul's day when he wrote this letter to the church of Corinth, and it's true today. Satan's tricks are the same. They haven't changed. They're they're in a different time frame. Paul's words are don't be deceived. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read through this text and give honor to the word of God, Paul's words as he's writing to the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 through 11 he says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Highlight that. Underline that. Neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. God, as we enter into this journey in in your word, in these texts that we're going to be looking at, we pray that you would teach us. The importance of truth and why it matters. Because it keeps us from compromise and it keeps us from being deceived. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When we look at the text, one of the first things we got to see is, as in verse 9, he says, Or do you not know, and you should by now, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's very clear... That there is a kingdom that belongs to God and only the righteous will inherit it as a gift. Now, the contrary to that is if only the righteous inherit the kingdom of God, then the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of righteousness and a kingdom of unrighteousness. There's a kingdom of God and the kingdom of world. Satan and the fallen world. And the difference between the, these two worlds is one is holy and one is unholy. And we have to be very black and white when it comes to that which is holy and that which is unholy. Why? Because God's very black and white. That He is holy, He's just, there's no unrighteousness, they are distinct. As distinct as light is from darkness, as distinct as evil is from good, as distinct as love is from hatred, we look at there are are clear distinctions The world compromise will say this. There are no distinctions. There shouldn't be in the world. Let's just live in the graves. No. God's word tells us that there is black and white. There There are distinctions that have to be made. And the minute we start blurring the lines of distinctions, we start running into the dangers of compromise within this. God's kingdom is holy. Romans chapter 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but... What? What is the kingdom of God? Righteousness and peace and joy in what? The Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not the party mentality. The kingdom of God is holiness and righteousness. And God's goal in that kingdom of righteousness is to reflect the righteous character of God to an ungodly people so they'll want to come into God's kingdom. There has to be a distinction within that because if the unrighteous will not inherit eternal life, they're, e- they're destined to eternal damnation. And if there is no choice, no clear choice of something that is better, then the unrighteous have this, this path of gray that will lead them into hell. And so we've got to understand that this righteous kingdom of God that exists now in believers and in eternity in heaven must exist as a black and white contrast to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Personal righteousness is imperative. Because if personal righteousness is not displayed to a dying world, they'll never have a chance for life. They'll never have a chance for hope. Our condition within this, this is an old condition for the believer... Every person in this room, at one point in their life, was unrighteous. Every person. We all are sinners. Every person, one point, was unrighteous until something changed. And it was God who changed us. Colossians 1.13 says this, For He, being Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. What was the transition? A work you did? No. A work of grace that God did through Jesus. And He transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Out of the kingdom that was going to be destroyed of this world into the kingdom that's eternal. Today's message, as we take a look at God's Word, and as we're going to pass through some passages are going to be uncomfortable for you. Because they're going to challenge some of your presuppositions. But I think it's important, as Paul was challenging the church of Corinth, God's Spirit wants to challenge us within this. Paul's not giving new instruction. This is not new to you, is it? You know this. But are you living it? Paul's instructions to the church of Corinth, they knew it, but they had drifted and they were not living in this kingdom. The kingdom now, the kingdom rule, the kingdom that keeps us from sin, sorrow, and suffering within this. God's rule in his kingdom is a moral obligation for those that have entered into his kingdom. Do you follow me? If you've entered into God's holy kingdom by grace, you have a moral obligation to reflect that holy kingdom and reflect the character of the king that is in that kingdom, within this. And it's the believer's hope of, of entering in permanently into heaven that purifies him. 1 John 3, 3 says this, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. As we look at the holy character of God in his holy kingdom, that contrast should, should purify us. Now, that's an ongoing process. It's called in a fancy religious word. It's called sanctification. It's where you constantly are saying, I am setting myself apart for a holy work that God wants to do. Where the Holy Spirit wants to set you apart for a holy work that God wants to do. Which means we've got to shed the old things. The problem is those that practice immorality and a lifestyle contrary to the Holy Kingdom of God, first and foremost, confuse people. Have you ever had somebody look at, at, look at, at, at you and say, I thought you were a Christian? <laughs> Christians aren't supposed to act like that. Even the world has an expectation of how Christians should live, don't they? But we've lowered the bar. How? Through compromise. Compromise. That's why Paul said to the church in Corinth, don't be deceived. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of Greek. This is a prohibitive statement. It is as strong as it can get in the language. Do not stop or do not be deceived. Stop being deceived right now because in the language it says you are being deceived. It's a constant action of you being deceived. You need to stop this right now. It's not a past act. It's a present tense. It's an imperative with a negative. It it is as strong as it is. Basically, you know what Paul is saying? Stop it. Because they were doing it. Don't be deceived. This ongoing action, stop it. The word is planeo. And it literally means, the word deceive planeo, means to wander off the path. It also means to have thoughts that are twisted or to cover one's eyes with lies. To cover your eyes with lies. I thought that was a really good definition. Stop letting your eyes be covered with lies. Stop having your thoughts twisted. Stop being drawn off of the path that is there. That is a danger that every Christ follower has. Why? Because we're in this world and it is wanting to deceive us, led by the kingdom of this world, Satan. And so here's what the problem was. The Corinthian church falsely believed, because they were highly intellectual, well-studied, had libraries and all of the different things, they thought, we're smarter than this. And in their intellectual pride in combination with their Christian walk, they thought, well, you know, we can just compromise with people. And, and we have a better way. You know, God's way is very black and white. We, we, we can negotiate with people. We can, we can entertain these things. And we think about this It is a deception. There's three basic kinds of deception. There's self-deception... Satanic deception and cultural deception, self-deception. We all know about that, right? You look in the mirror and you see the big zit in the middle of your forehead and you go, nah, it's not there. And then you walk out and you're talking to your friend and they go, hey, you know, what's that big cyclops thing going on in the middle of your face? It's not there. I believe it not to be there. You can believe it all you want, but you look like, you got a unicorn, buddy. (laughs) Self-deception. It's dangerous. Satanic deceptions. These are where these thoughts and these evil things come into our mind that that are demonically driven, that are meant to draw us away. Cultural deceptions. Everybody's doing it. These cultural compromises that bring us out. As I said also, all believers prior to Christ were deceived at one point until Jesus calls out again. First Corinthians twelve two He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by the mute idols, however you were led. We got to understand prior to the Holy Spirit, prior to Jesus removing the scales of deceptions from our eyes. We were led astray. I used to party. I used to drink. I used to do the drugs. I used to do all of the different things. And I thought it was great. I remember in high school saying to my friends, I can't wait till we can party in hell together. And I meant it. And I grew up in a Lutheran church and went to a Lutheran school for eight years. And hell did not scare me. That man. Until I realized what hell was. And when I realized what grace is. And so we think about the unbeliever. He's deceived. Why? Because the lies are over his eyes. Satan has culturally drawn people away. The difference between. Those in the kingdom of God and those in the kingdom of the world are those that are in the kingdom of God know better. You know better. We know we the difference. Those that are under Satan's deception, they don't know any better because they're in darkness. It's kind of like a fish. A fish doesn't know he's wet, but you're wet. What do you mean I'm wet? You're in water. Sinners don't know they are sinners because they're surrounded by the darkness that they're around. And they just don't get it. But Christ followers know better. And so Paul warns us against these deceivers. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, there are warnings of deceivers. For example, Jesus did this in Luke 21, eight. Jesus warned against deceivers and he said, See to it that you are not misled for many will come in my name saying i am he and then and the time is near don't go after him so jesus says don't go after the deceivers paul warns against deceptive associations with sinners 1 corinthians 15:33 don't be deceived bad company corrupts good morals parents don't want their kids to hang around other kids that are always getting in trouble why because their kids are it's self-centered I don't want my kids to get in trouble, so don't hang around the other kids that are getting in trouble, right? Keep them out of it. Why? Because bad behavior corrupts good morals. We know that. John will talk about the deceptive conduct in First John three seven through nine it says, "Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices unrighteousness, or I'm sorry, the one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin." is is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one, get this, is born of God who practices sin because His, being Jesus' seed, abides in Him, and He cannot sin because He's born of God within this. Black and white distinction. If you're born again, you cannot continue a a lifestyle practicing sin. You can't. Why? Because the seed of Christ and holiness and justification is within you. You say, well, what about all these these sins that I still commit? Are you practicing them as a lifestyle? Or are you following the deceptions that lead you astray and off the path? There's a difference. And the difference is trajectory and kingdom. But the most common tool, as I said earlier, is this, this tool of Self-deception that Satan uses in Proverbs. There's a, there's a great proverb, and I would encourage you in your personal Bible study, read Proverbs every day. Whatever the date is, read that proverb. There's 31 Proverbs. It's easy to figure out. If you read, if you do it that way, you'll read Proverbs 12 times a year. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27, 28 it says this: Can a man take fire in his bosom? And his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And the answer is what? No. Go try hugging a torch. <laughs> Self-deception says, I can hug a torch and not be burned. Yeah, go try it, buddy. Let's see how that works for you. So we look at this, this idea and, and we see Paul saying, we've got to guard ourselves. Don't be deceived of these dangerous deceptions because they're going to lead us astray. So then the question is, well, what are those dangerous deceptions? I've got some lists. Paul gives us one set of lists that we're going to go through briefly, and then there's some other things that I want to share with you, five specific deceptions that we want to watch out for. If you're one that takes notes, you can, or you can go back and watch this on YouTube and catch them all. Um, There's a lot here and a lot of information. Paul's list is dealing with deceptive lifestyles. Keep in mind, these are those that are practicing these lifestyles of unrighteousness. Modern Christian liberalism has tried to redefine these lifestyles as not being sin. Hear me clearly. They have... Christian, modern Christian liberal commentators have reframed these lifestyles So that they're not as bad as they seem within this. Why? Because we don't want somebody to feel bad about themselves. I can tell you this. A person's eternal destiny is more important than their feelings. Tell them the truth. Because when they're in eternal damnation, and they think back and they say, Well, I knew Carrie, and Carrie was a Christian, but he never told me the truth, and that truth could have kept me from coming here. It's a powerful thought. So these modern Christian liberal commentators have redefined or softened these prohibited, and hear me clearly, these are prohibited lifestyles that are very clear. Paul says that there are sexual and sensual sins that are in here. Fornication. The word in Greek is porneia. Porneia. What makes you think of, what word, English word, makes you think of in porneia? Pornography within this. Idolaters. You say, well, how is an idolater a sexual sin? Because in the culture of that time, part of the idolatry was the practice of orgies. The practice of these things that, that, would participate in these sexual activities as they would worship these false idols and these expressions. Adulterers. Those are those who would have um, relationships and, and with those that are not their spouse. Effeminate. The word is nalakos. Nalakos is an interesting word because it literally means the transformation of a male nature to female nature. That's the word effeminate. Those that would transfer their god-given nature from from one gender to another, gender transformation. Homosexuals, ospenconitas. it literally means, Male bed partners. It's much more graphic when you get into the actual, the deeper definitions that we're not going to because we're going to keep it. But you know. I don't have to explain it. These lifestyles are prohibited by God in the kingdom of God. Then there are the social sins against others. There's the thieves, the covetousness. Drunkards, slanders, swindlers. Swindlers is an interesting word because it means those that are dishonest in business. Paul says those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this is a very hard statement in our culture today. Where Christian liberalism is accepting these things as normal and to normalize them. Think about how dangerous the deception is of Satan to normalize prohibited sins. When we start normalizing things that should be prohibited by God's standards, then we delude the word of God. We delude the word righteous. We delude the word holy. And people become delusional thinking that it's okay to practice such things and still call yourself a Christian. The answer is no. Very clearly, no. These people, God says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Period. Within this, we've got to understand that these are some deceptions that Paul Is it a comprehensive list? No, it's not. It's meant to be examples. There's other deceptions that lead people away. You can turn in your Bibles or see the, the passage on the screen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13-15. to 15, One of the deceptions that Satan will use is to get you to follow a false leader. For such men were apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguised himself... As an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Well, how is it that Paul would struggle with these people that are having these and practicing these prohibited lifestyles? Because there's false leaders that are qualifying these lifestyles as being okay. And he would say to the church in Corinth and 2 Corinthians, that there are people, these deceivers, they disguise themselves as spiritual leaders for the purpose of drawing people away. This is their intent. Now, are they going to come in? They're going to say, you know, I want you to come to my church because I'm going to give you a message that's going to qualify prohibitive lifestyle so that in practicing this lifestyle, you'll spend eternity in hell. Is that a very good evangelism pitch? No. No. So what do they do? They form themselves into spiritual leaders. Paul calls these people peddlers of religion. Peddlers of religion. Self-proclaimed super apostles. They pretend to be workers of God, but they're not. They're not. They're denying the truth of God. They're driven by their narcissism, and they're driven by their pride. To do what? To gather as many people as they can around them. You think about this. If I preach a social gospel that's palatable for everybody so I can have a mega church and a mega income, what is my end goal? To make money? To be prideful? Do I really care about the people? No. And so, Satan will use false apostles and deceivers And it is no doubt, the text says that Satan will appear as an angel of light. He's really an angel of darkness. But the text says disguise. It's interesting because that Greek word disguise means to fashion oneself in the manner of. In other words, Satan who is an angel of darkness will fashion himself as an angel of light for the purpose of deception. And so will all of those that are under him. To be in that place. And they fashion themselves as servants of righteousness and super apostles of Christ, and they're not. A second dangerous deception is these false apostles will teach false doctrine. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul says to Timothy in an imperative preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desire, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myth. Young Timothy, in the town of Ephesus, preached a word. Why? Because in Ephesus, this ungodly town full of idolatry and sensuality, people are going to turn away from the Word and they're going to add to themselves people that tell them what they want to hear. Why is it that we need the Word of God? Because it keeps us on the path unto righteousness and holiness. Paul's admonition was preach this Word in the face of cultic activity, cultural deceptions. There's five imperatives in that passage. Preach, teach, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now, we're okay most of the time with our teaching and our preaching. But rebuking, that's correcting. We need to be in that place where we can reprove somebody. And Paul was concerned that Timothy would stop preaching the truth. That he would water down the Gospel And so he says, don't do it. Preach the truth. Because you'll be the clarion of truth in a place that is culturally deceived. The third dangerous deception is what Adam and Eve fell to. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in the garden. Within this. John covers this in his letter to the church in 1 John 2, 15-17. He says, don't love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and all its lust. but the one who does the will of God lives forever. If you love the world and the things that are coming from the world, you're loving something that is Going to be destroyed. The world is not eternal. But if you love the things that are part of a temporal world that is that is gonna be wiped out, and you become part of that, you'll also be destroyed. But we think about the lust of the eyes, and and this it's all self-centered. And again, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says this when the woman saw that the tree, note was good for food, the flesh, that it was delightful to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, pride, because the promise was if you eat, you'll be like God. She took from the fruit, ate it, and she gave it to her husband. Note, with her. Guys, you don't get to blame the women. Stop it. He was standing right there, but he advocated leadership. He ate everything. And he ate. The love for the world is driven by the, the, the fleshly cravings. Now mind you, we are all still stuck in this body of flesh, aren't we? This flesh wants what it wants when it wants it. And it's difficult because we have to deny this flesh, the physical, in order to pursue the spiritual. So while something might be good for the body, it may not be good for the soul. And so you have to say, look at, I can do this, but is this the best thing for me within that? And and Satan will say, ah, go ahead, it's not going to matter. But it does. A fourth deception is lying to God. Can you think of an account in the New Testament where somebody lied to God and it didn't work out for them so well? Acts chapter 5, 1 through 5, Ananias and Sapphira. But a man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, kept back some of the prices for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion, he laid it at the apostrophe. But Peter said, Ananias, why has note? Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. What was the lie? Keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. As he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard it. What did he do? Well, under the pretense of the church being of one heart, people were coming and they were saying to the apostles, we want to support everybody that's here in Jerusalem because they need money. need support. need discipleship. Those things. Ananias fired. We have a piece of property. We're going to sell it. We're going to give it under pretense that all of it is going to go to God, but we're going to keep back of ourselves. And God said, oh no, we're not doing this. And he lied. Does God really care about the money? No. Notice the motivator. Satan, who filled his heart. The seed of deception came in. It's interesting because the word kept back literally means in Greek to be, to embezzle. When you read in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 7 verses 1 through 26, that word is the same word that's used for Achan. Who kept back the, the things that were set apart. It's the same phrase that is used of Judas in Luke 22.3 when Satan fills the heart of Judas to lie to God within this why self-centeredness personal gain the last that we look at within this and again there's a bunch more we could go we could spend days looking at this in the text but the last is deception is to follow a false dream or vision or false miracles in 1 John chapter 4 1 through 3 it says beloved do not believe every spirit But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the spirit of God. This is how you'll know. This is the test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you've heard that is coming and is now already in the world. Spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist. Against Christ. The spirit of against Christ was in the time of John. It's in our world today. And how were the people being deceived? By false miracles, false prophets, false statements that are there. The spirit of truth will always say Jesus is the Son of God. The spirit of deception, remember deception to lead you away from God, will always deny that Jesus is the Son of God. And the truth about Jesus. The world... And those that are in the world cannot confess that Jesus is the Son of God apart from the Spirit of Truth. So why does the world reject Him? Because they're under the spirit of the Antichrist. Those are against. Can you think of a modern religion today that is doing that? That has followed a dream, a vision, an angel that came and said... You don't have all of the Gospel. I need to give you more. Here are some golden tablets and a peep stone. This is the new revelation. You know that religion? Mormonism. Where Joseph Smith had heard that there was more to it. And so we, we see the writings of Mormonism. Who do not declare that Jesus is the Son of God. Furthermore, it's going to get worse. In the end days, there is going to be a spirit of deception that is going to be unprecedented. Revelation chapter 13 verses 11 to 14 says this. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performed great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to earth and the presence of men and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and had come to life. Who is this? This is the Antichrist. Satan copies everything of God. You have Satan, the Antichrist, and the beast. A trilogy that is a duplication of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit within this. Satan cannot create, but he can duplicate. How do we know that? Because Pharaoh's magicians... In Exodus chapter 7, duplicated Aaron's miracle of the rod turning into a snake. Super cool thing about it though, and I wish I was there. Because <laughs> when Aaron cast it down and there was a serpent, and then all the magicians, they created serpents. Well, Aaron's serpent ain't all the other ones, so I thought that was kind of cool. But it shows you how stupid it is because as you read the rest of the text, all the magicians are all duplicating all the plagues you know, within that. Up until some limits. It's like, you're dumb. But we see the Antichrist, in the end, gives power to the the ability to call down fire from heaven. Now, who did that? Elijah. Within that. First Kings 18. What is even crazier is he's going to use this power of deception. So within this, the beast is going to receive a fatal wound and, and within this resurrected, and the crazy thing is this, the Antichrist is going to call for the image of the, the, the beast that was wounded to be built, an inanimate object, in the temple, the third temple that will be built. Now, the, the abomination already took place, but you have this, this image, this inanimate object, that is placed into the temple, and... The Antichrist is going to be given him power to animate this inanimate object. To give life. Now again, Satan cannot create life. Only God can create life. But imagine all those that are in the world that are seeing someone who was dead now comes alive. And now an idol that is put into the temple now is given life to speak and to talk and to communicate and all of these things. You ever wonder where AI is going to go? To deceive many that are, that is within this. You can't make this stuff up. And poor John, he's having to write this stuff. I don't know what AI is. But he has to write it. And the world is going to be deceived in this. To what extent? After this inanimate object now is speaking and talking as if it was one that was risen and, and life was given to something that was there, then a declaration is going to be made. You ever wonder how in the world is Satan going to gain control of the, 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 all of mankind? He's going to do it through deception to the point of Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 to 18. And He causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And He provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark. Either the name of the beast or the number of his name, here is wisdom, let him who understands and calculates the number of the beast For the number is that of a man. His number is 666. How is it that Satan can have global deception? Church is taken out. The rest of mankind is deceived through these miracles. People are going to follow that deception and pledge allegiance to this beast. It is a slow cook. The heat is turned up slowly in deception. So Paul tells us that we need to guard ourselves against dangerous deceptions that are meant to lead us astray. And it's these little compromises, these little deceptions that we accept as truth. We need to be careful. So lastly, how do we avoid this? Galatians 5.16 Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. How do I avoid being deceived? Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit of what? The Spirit of truth. If you walk in the Spirit of the truth, you will never be deceived. If you remain in the Word of God and walk by the Spirit of truth, you will never be led astray. God's Word and the Holy Spirit must have full authority in your life. And will keep you from falling. Will keep you from being led astray. And as you are walking in the spirit of truth, other people will have someone to follow. And people are watching you. Believers, we need to be on guard. We need to guard our hearts, our minds. We need to guard ourselves against deception. Because it is out there, people. And Satan is looking at devouring you. He wants you to be his lunch. He wants you to be destroyed. You say, well, Carrie, you use some pretty hard words. Yeah, they are. They're very black and white. And God calls us into being righteous, as he is righteous. Do not let Satan lead you astray. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this time. I thank you for the privilege of being able to come and to be in this place. Lord, as we get ready to to leave this morning, help us to understand your, your truth and not to live in a compromised life. To be holy and separate from the world, but yet be in the world bringing truth and bringing light to those that are deceived. Father, I pray you remove the scales of those that have been deceived. For those believers that have have wandered, Lord, I pray you would bring them back to the path of righteousness for your name's sake. We thank you, God, for all that you've blessed us with. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.
0: Amen. That's a good word, right? Hey, Trudy, we're just going to do that. Thank you. You got my text, right?
1: Weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't be Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. My God will never fail. I'm gonna see victory. I'm gonna see victory. For the battle belongs to You, Lord. I'm gonna see victory. I'm gonna see. Enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good, you turn it for good, you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good, you turn it for good. It's an amazing thing about our God. (laughs) You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn and conquer, you take for the enemy and for evil, you turn and conquer, you turn and conquer, I'm going to see victory, I'm going to see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory.
2: God, we thank you that we don't have to fear evil because you conquered Satan, the world in this flesh. Lord, may we walk in, in the victory of truth, knowing the truth that sets us free. May we follow you clearly on the path of righteousness led by you, Holy Spirit, and guard ourselves from those things that will seek to rob us of joy and freedom. Lord, may we be a light in this very dark place and bring truth to the lives of others who are in the kingdom of this world and destined for judgment. God, our hearts should break over those lost. May we seek them out as you've sought us. We thank you for our time in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Amen. and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m.